defined as the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. However, being charged and convicted of murder isn't always as simple as the definition. With that said, let's talk murder. Welcome, welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Keyson. I am your host, Diamond Keyson. Now, for those who may not know, Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Keyson is a crime-based podcast that takes an inside look at the crime from the side of the accused. In each episode, we go beyond the headlines and get up close and personal to the story via the words of the individual charged with the crime. Now, for this episode, we're going to talk the story of Cheryl Wesley. Oh my gosh, this is one of those stories that you literally say to yourself, can this be real? Well, guess what? It really is. Now, as we explore this case, I'm going to bring it to you from the headlines. Then we want to hear from Mr. Wesley himself as he gives us his breakdown on what happened with the crime. Now, with that being said, let's talk murder. Now, I'm going to read this to you. This is coming from the Fox 5 San Diego website, fox5sandiego.com. And the title of this reads, Aspiring Rapper Gets 80 to Life for Murdering His Friend. Let's do this. A parolee who fatally shot his friend because he thought the victim had disrespected him was sentenced Thursday to 80 years to life in state prison. Sherelle Joseph Wesley, 22, was convicted last month of first-degree murder in the death of 21-year-old D'Angelo Sharon. The defendant was also convicted of being a felon in possession of a gun and ammunition. Deputy District Attorney Keith Watanabe told the jury that Sharon looked up to Wesley, who was an aspiring rapper. A woman who was secretly dating the married Wesley, Shafa Chavez, pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter and agreed to testify against her co-defendant. After her arrest, Chavez said the killing happened during an argument between the two men. The woman admitted driving Wesley and Sharon to a remote spot in Vista, where she knew Wesley planned to kill the victim. A passerby found Sharon's body at about 5.30 a.m. July 12, 2017, along Twin Oaks Valley Road near Garford Canyon Road. The victim had been shot three times. Wesley was arrested later that day. He was on parole for a 2014 armed robbery at an El Cajon gun store at the time of the murder, authorities said. Chavis, now 19, is scheduled to be sentenced next month. Again, this is from the Fox 5 San Diego website. Now I'm going to take you to another headline. This is coming from the San Diego Reader, and that's at sandiegoreader.com. This headline reads, Sherelle Wesley leaves best friend's body on Twin Oaks Valley Road. Subtitle, Why Do Good Girls Love Bad Boys? The author is Eva Knott, and it was published December 26, 2018. I attracted a lot of women, yes. Sherelle Wesley testified in October of 2018. I do believe that men are the dominant ones in a relationship with the woman. Wesley turned in the witness box to speak directly to the jury, which was made up of 10 women and 2 men. I don't think that dating women is a crime. A prosecutor asked Cheryl Wesley if it was true that at one point in 2017 he had one wife plus a pregnant girlfriend in another state plus two other girlfriends, all while dating a teenage high school student. Well, the woman that had my kid, it was kind of a one-night-stand thing, and she decided to keep the kid. So, Wesley, who was 22 when he testified, told the jury that his first child was stillborn when he was 16. 
He had that baby's name, Sioni, tattooed on him. Tattooed on the back of his neck. And he explained some of his other tattoos. For example, the shock on the front of his neck because he always liked shocks. And he has a cross tattooed on his right cheek because I come from a home of Christianity. I'm very religious. Wesley spoke about the girl he dated while she was still in high school. Her name was Shefa and she was in the 4th or 5th grade when they first met. Wesley was 2 years older and was friends with Shafar's older brother, Kanil. They were the same age. Wesley had moved from Oregon to the San Diego area. Shefa and her friends always had a crush on me. They would tell me I was cute and things like that. When Shefa took her turn in the witness box, she confirmed she had known Cheryl Wesley since she was 10 or 11. I seen him at my house and I thought he was pretty cute. When Shefal testified, she was 19. She and Wesley were on trial for murder. Shefal and her friends admired Sherelle Wesley's good looks, and they knew him as a talented dancer who won hip-hop competitions. He was almost famous, she said. Wesley said his dancing was noticed by video producers, who then called his manager and specifically requested him. He said his breakdance cameos can be seen in videos for Black Eyed Peas and Well I Am and Gwen Stefani. Stefani was considered a good girl. She was a good student at Madison High School in Claremont. She was on the honor roll. She was, a, she was also a cheerleader. Stefani applied to and was accepted at several colleges her senior year. During the Christmas break of December 2016, Shafal turned 18. She was allowed to travel alone to the Bahamas, where her mother was from. Shafal stayed with relatives there. She worked at her uncle's store in a mall. She partied with her cousins. After Shafal returned home to San Diego, her life changed completely. Bad boy Sherelle Wesley was paroled from prison at the same time good girl Shafal turned 18. Wesley explained it later when he spoke from the witness box. I made a mistake when I was 17. I pleaded guilty to a felony. I was guilty and took full ownership and responsibility for my action. The prosecutor described it as more than a mistake. The crime was actually an armed robbery of a gun store in El Cajon. Wesley said, right, but I got arrested as a minor. When Hiram's gun store, gun store was violently taken over by three men the afternoon of June 13, 2014, Wesley was, in fact, three months short of his 18th birthday. Three suspects were quickly apprehended with stolen firearms in their car. Wesley was charged as an adult, and he soon made a plea deal. Wesley was at liberty for a while, but was sent to state prison in 2016 after a probation violation. This did not affect Sherelle Wesley's ability to attract women. A woman he had already known for two years named Tatiana married Wesley while he was in the slammer. Tatiana testified that their wedding date was September 11, 2016, but their wedded happiness did not last. Wesley soon learned that his new wife was pregnant by another man. Since then, Wesley said he has been trying to get a divorce. In late 2018, he was still married to that woman, but his marriage status did not prevent Wesley's pursuit of other women. Stefan was aware when her brother's friend, Wesley, was sent to prison. In fact, she said they communicated while he was incarcerated. Stefan said he was messaging me and she realized he was interested in her in a new way. When Wesley got out of prison in early 2017, he found Stefan's mother not as welcoming as she used to be. 
I stopped going around Camille's house after his mom said, hey, I don't want that thug in here, he said. But that was not such a loss to Wesley as he told it. I was more of a friend to Camille than he was to me. He was always in competition with me. He thought he could do everything better than me. But Shafar remembered it differently. Knowing Sherelle was always very controlling over his friends, she knew her brother would not submit to Wesley's dominating personality. Despite her mother not wanting him around and her brother's cooling friendship with him, Shafar became romantically entangled with Wesley. We kept it a secret. Shafar did not tell her family. She later said she believed her mother would have called the police and her brother Keneal would want to fight because Keneal knew how Wesley treated women. I had no clue about Wesley's other women, Shafar insisted. He was her first boyfriend, her true love. She dared to fantasize about a life with Wesley. She hoped they would move in together. That was not Wesley's view of it. He told the jury. She knew that our relationship was never going to be a long-term relationship. I had a different mind frame at that time. She wanted to party and hang out with her friends. Wesley said his priority was to take care of his family. Shabar suffered in the relationship. He was dominant. I lost myself. I just got very, very dependent on this dude. Very unhealthy. She said she drove him around to do his errands and dropped him off at his friend's place. Any task he needed to do, I was the driver. He was just using me. I look back at it now. If she said something he didn't like, he would say, shut up and drive, and smack me upside the back of my head. We would go out to eat, and I would pay for everything. With money, she made babysitting. I felt like I had to keep up and want it to be on his level. Emotional abuse followed physical and financial abuse. He could make me feel guilty. I would question myself, Shafar explained. He had a way of making me feel in the wrong, so I would comply so we could be happy. When they fought, Shafar said Wesley always put it back on her. He would say, I knew that was going to happen, and it's all your fault why we are fighting like this. She cried, and he said, you don't love me. If you want to be together, you need to stop acting like that. The prosecutor asked Wesley if he and Shafar fought a lot. We got into fights like any normal relationship, was his answer. Shafar said they would break up and then get back together. It would always turn to, I was begging for mercy, and he was never wrong. Shafar didn't tell her friends about her relationship with Wesley. I felt like I couldn't live without him and didn't have the strength to leave. She testified that she spent less and less time with friends and family. I did not isolate Shafar from her high school friends, Wesley responded. She isolated herself. He said others were mad because she spent more time with him. No, Shafar did not seem depressed her last semester of high school. Not to me, Wesley testified. Asked, why do you think Shafar stopped going to classes those last months of high school? He guessed, probably due to marijuana. D'Lo. Wesley said he met his best friend, D'Angelo, near his home on the 3700 block of Alabama Street in North Park. They were both headed to the same liquor store. D'Angelo, nine months older than Wesley and was already 21, old enough to buy liquor. By all accounts, D'Angelo had a bad start in his life. His mother was a drug addict with mental health problems, according to the prosecutor. His cousin said D'Angelo escaped from his mother's home when he was 16 or 17. He did not graduate from high school. He had no car and got around with a bus pass or rides from friends. For money, he donated blood. A person can make 60 or $65 a week doing that. The pay for blood 
donations goes onto a blue plastic Visa card called a plasma card. This card was later found in D'Angelo's pocket. D'Angelo was a bit bigger than Wesley at 5 foot 7 inches tall and 173 pounds. Wesley was described in jail records as 5 feet 6 inches tall and 130 pounds. People who knew them both said D'Angelo looked up to Wesley. Some say he idolized Wesley. Wesley made rap videos. He had his own car, a silver Toyota Camry, and he lived with his loving family. All were attractions to, G- to D'Angelo, who went by the nicknames D and D'Lo. Wesley included D'Angelo in some of his rap videos. These can still be found on YouTube. Sherelle Wesley used the name Westside Rail for these projects. Wesley said he and D'Angelo got matching tattoos. There's a prominent tattoo over Wesley's right eyebrow, eyebrow, triple M's. This means money, music, and motivation. And D'Lo got the same tattoo, said Wesley. But the prosecutor claimed that the triple M's actually stand for murder, money, mafia. Wesley denied that. Shafar described the relationship between the two men. D was always his yes man, just always making him feel better. Prosecutor Keith Watanabe had a theory that Cheryl Wesley became jealous and felt betrayed when D'Angelo started hanging out with a new dance crew called the Hefners. But Wesley responded, he's not with a dance group. That statement was made up. Wesley also declared that he could not attack D for something like that. One of the West Side, West Side Rail rap videos still available on YouTube is titled Blood in the Rain. In this video, D'Angelo is seen lying on the sidewalk shirtless playing a crime victim. That scene was tragically reenacted later in real life. One hot July night. Sherelle's version of events. Again, this is coming from the SanDiegoReader.com website. It was a warm day and night in San Diego County on Tuesday, July 11th, 2017. Even at midnight, temperatures were in the 80s. Wesley told the jury that he was partying with Shafar in the car parked in his driveway that evening. I already had a pack of swishers in my console in my car, and that's what we rolled it up and smoked it. Yeah, we hotboxed it. It means you roll up all the windows in the car and you smoke marijuana. It's kind of like being in a steam room, and it's cloudy and you're just inhaling marijuana. For the benefit of the jury, Wesley explained how to make a blunt. He said one needs a tobacco cigar, which you split and put weed inside. He detailed, you would buy a swisher pack so you could split it open. You pull the tobacco out and you replace it with weed, and that's how you smoke it. Shafar disputed that Wesley bought the weed that night. We would always smoke in my car, of course. I was always buying, she told the jury. It was close to midnight when Cheryl Wesley decided they should go pick up D'Angelo. He said his car was out of gas, so they went in Shafar's car. And Wesley left his cell phone in his car at his house. After they picked up D'Angelo, Wesley said that Shafar offered to buy some liquor. At the liquor store, Shafar said Wesley asked for her debit card. She protested that she didn't want anything. Wesley told her he forgot his own card and said, I will pay you back. She handed over her card. Receipts showed purchases at Mullins on Imperial and Grand Hill at 12.20 a.m. Shafar drove to Sunset Cliffs. Cell phone records put them there at 1.15 a.m. Later, they traveled to Freeway 15 and began northward. 
Wesley said they decided to go to Los Angeles to visit D'Angelo's cousin. It was after 3 a.m. when they took an exit off the freeway that led to a remote part of Vista in northern San Diego County. Wesley told the jury they intended to smoke and drink and play loud music. 24 hours earlier, Wesley had searched the internet for remote places. Cell phone records showed he looked for San Diego canyons and non-emergency areas. That is, places without a fast 911 response. Wesley explained that he was just looking for new backgrounds for his next rap video. And we smoke and drink in the videos, so we never did it in, pub in public because we were not allowed to do that. It was the early morning hours of Wednesday, July 12th, when they stopped on a dark road. That's when we start smoking and drinking, and that's when things occurred, Wesley told the jury. First, we are sitting in the car, Shafar is rolling up a blunt, Dee's in the back seat. In Sherelle Wesley's version of events, the three were listening to music on YouTube and drinking and chilling and passing around. And then, strangely, Wesley's communication with his baby mama became a topic of conversation. Wesley explained to the jury that it was like a family tradition that he would save up money for his child by putting that money in a water jug. He said this was what his mother had done. When I would get paid for work, I would put money in there. During trial, it was established that Wesley worked for a company called One Source Distributors, Distributors for one month. Sherelle Wesley said he did get money from his baby mama and I would save it up in a water jug. Sometimes, though, he took money out to support D financially because he would go to the plasma center because I, I know he was struggling. Wesley said to the jury, you know D'Angelo would ask me for money all the time. It was earlier that day on the 11th when D'Angelo had asked him for money. Wesley said D told him he was fearful that he owed money to someone downtown. So that is why I texted my kid's mother and tell her my life is at risk. Because she would normally send me money for my child, he explained. She did not know D'Angelo, so I had to say my life was at risk. Wesley recalled later that he did not receive money from his baby mama that same day. I received the money the next day after the incident occurred. We're just chilling and I'm playing music and he says, that bitch is always playing with the money. So I know that is my kid's mother, so I tell him, watch your mouth. You know who that is to me. Wesley said D'Angelo answered, watch whose mouth. Wesley testified that D'Angelo reached forward from the back seat and punched Wesley in the head. And I turned around and punched D in the face. Wesley was not sure if his friend had the gun in his waistband at that moment or not. D got out the car. D'Angelo said, yeah, that, yeah, that, Wesley explained to the jury. That means, like, let's go. I could hear him talking smack, like, get out the car, get out the car, Shafar said. Let him find his own way home. Let's go. Wesley got out the car, and he is squaring up to me, and he tries to charge me. I hit him with a left, and he falls, and he hits his head on the ground. Wesley said D recovered and jumped up and rushed Wesley and grabbed him. And he was reaching behind him to grab his gun. Wesley said his friend had a handgun stuck in the waistband of his pants. But Wesley said he was able to shove D's arm after he had hold of the gun. And I could hear the gun hit the ground and skid. Wesley said he heard gunshots. Then I can hear Shafar in the background saying, come on, Sherelle, let's go, let's go, let's go. I got into the car. And then Wesley spoke to his 18-year-old lover. I say, look, what you got me into. 
Look at the situation I am in. She goes, what am I supposed to do? He might have killed you. Are you going to leave me? I said, take me home. I kind of felt bad for her at the same time. I kind of understand she was trying to protect me. I told her I ain't want to be with her. I ain't want to be with you no more. This is not going to work. Take me home. She started getting sad. I said, you got me into this. You take the gun. You just use this gun to kill my brother. She's kind of scared and panicked. A neighbor's surveillance camera captured video of Shafar dropping off Wesley down the street from his home on Alabama Street. I tell her, you can't park in front of my house like this. In the video, he's seen taking off his socks. She tells me, are you going to leave me, Sherelle? I'm sorry, I tell her. This is the last time I'm going to see you. The two are seen kissing and hugging in the video. She kind of understood the circumstances that I'm never going to be able to forgive her. Now, Shafar's version. Again, SanDiegoReader.com. Shafar said it was about 10 days before the murder when Wesley first showed her a gun. She knew he wasn't supposed to have a gun because he's a convicted felon. Wesley also showed her a photo of a man he said was family. He told her that man was killed, that he was poisoned by D'Angelo. She recalled Wesley saying, I'm going to get D'Angelo. Shafal testified that Wesley asked her, are you down for me? And that he told her, we need to find a place to do it, a place with no police. We need a plan. On that Tuesday, July 11th, Wesley told Shafal to clean out her back seat and trunk of her car. She told the jury. Then Wesley went into the house and brought out his gun. She said he wore gloves while he cleaned the gun and he took out each piece of ammo and cleaned each one. Shafal said Wesley put the gun in her car underneath the front passenger seat, wrapped inside a black jacket. Wesley put a gym bag and change of, uh, change of shoes into the trunk of her car. Wesley left his cell phone in his car, parked at his house, and got into Shafal's car. When Sherelle was in the witness box, he spoke about the shoes that were later found in Shafal's trunk with D'Angelo's blood on them. Wesley said, those are actually not my shoes. Those are actually Canoe shoes. He said the guys sometimes wore each other's shoes. Shafar said that night, I don't even know where I'm driving. Cheryl is always directing me where to go. It was nighttime. He just said, turn right, turn left. She said her mom called at one point. Wesley told her not to answer. But Shafar picked up and her mom asked where she was and Shafar lied and said she was still babysitting. During the long night, D'Angelo eventually fell asleep spread out across the back seat. After Wesley directed Shafar to get onto the 15 freeway, Shafar said she drove and drove. It seemed like an hour. She was tired and sleeping. Wesley kept saying, babe, just a little longer. Stay up. It was like he knew where he was going. They took the Garford Canyon exit off the 15 freeway, about 12 miles north of State Route 78 in rural North Vista. I never even heard of Vista until this happened, Shafar told the jury. Cheryl gets out the car and goes to the trunk. Shafar said Wesley changed his shoes. He put his Nikes on the front passenger seat and switched into the black Adidas. Wesley put on plastic gloves. Then Wesley took a heavy ceramic base Shafar had in her car and bashed D'Angelo in the head with it. This woke him up. Wesley had the gun on him and walked him across the street. Shafar said she put her hands over her ears, but she could still hear stunned D'Angelo. He goes, why is this going on? Sherelle is saying, all that sneak dissing, all that sneak dissing, he said, I love you. I thought we were brothers, and he kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love you, bro. And I hear, pow, pow, pow. Shafar said Wesley climbed into the trunk 
and told her to climb into the trunk and told her to close the trunk. Wesley told the jury, I never got into the trunk. Shafar said she broke off her fingernail when she ran around her car, slamming all the doors shut. That's when I lost the nail. Investigators later found one painted fingernail at the murder scene, which matched Shafar's remaining fingernails. Shafar made a GPS search to find Wesley's home because she did not know her current location. Her boyfriend yelled at her from the trunk, Are you okay? Are you okay? And he told her to drive safely. She told him she was heading to his house. He said, Why are you going to my house? Why would you go to my house? You fucking idiot. Go to your house. She drove to an alley behind her home, and at Wesley's direction, she went inside to get some of her brother's clothes. When she handed Wesley the clothing, he used it to wipe the gun. They collected items from her back seat, including D'Angelo's cell phone. Wesley wanted her to drive to Mission Bay and throw D's cell phone into the bay, but she protested that her car's low gasoline light was on. This angered Wesley. I remember him saying, we got to get rid of the phone, and I had just killed my best friend. Don't make me go double and kill you next, he told her. You're making a scene. Get in the car. They went to a gas station down the street, and he magically had his car on him then to buy gasoline. Even after a year, Shafar seemed genuinely annoyed at this deception. Body in the headlights. The body of D'Angelo was found slumped on the side of Twin Oaks Valley Road at 5.28 a.m. on Wednesday. A man going to work at a cement factory down the road lit up the body with his headlights. In the dead man's pockets, investigators found receipts, the Octopharma Plasma Visa debit card, and a California ID. Sheriff's Detective George Chrysler quickly traced D'Angelo's movements over the last 24 hours. Sherelle Wesley and Shafar were ar arrested on Wednesday, July 12, 2017. In the trunk of Shafar's car, investigators found Sherelle Wesley's clothes with D'Angelo's blood on them. Under interrogation, Wesley explained, I got into a fight with my best friend. There's blood on my sweats, and I gave her my jogging sweats prior because I told her I wouldn't be responsible for this situation. 18-year-old Shafar Chavez was described in Sheriff's, Sheriff's records as 5 feet 5 inches tall and 115 pounds. Shafar eventually made a plea deal. She pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter for her part in the killing of D'Angelo, and she testified against Wesley during his murder trial. When Wesley was sworn in during his trial on October 2018, he replied to the court clerk, Nothing but the bare truth. Yes, I do. After he took his seat in the witness box, he leaned towards the jury and explained, to prove to you my to prove to you of my innocence. After a two week trial, the jury deliberated about four hours and declared Sherelle Wesley guilty of first degree murder. The same judge who heard trial Honorable Richard Monroy sentenced Wesley to eighty years to life in prison. Shafar Chavez will be sentenced January seventh, twenty nineteen. Again, that is coming from the San Diego Reader, sandiegoreader.com website. In the title is Sherelle Wesley Leaves Best Friend's Body on Twin Oaks Valley Road. Wow, that is a lot to unpack. We're talking the girlfriend, the best friend, the fingers getting pointed at who did what, who did what because of what, whose clothes was in the trunk, who wore what. Oh, this is a lot of shit. Now... Naturally, I gave it to you from the headlines. Let's find out what Mr. Wesley had to say for himself as he agreed to let me tell his story in his words. Now we're going to go question by question. Let's get into this. 
What do you recall most about the morning of the crime? And what did you have planned overall for the day? Apprising the early morning of July, I recollect the bottle frustration with my best friend, D'Angelo. An affiliation only a mother and son of color can identify. Foremost, catalyzed by a common toxic feud that would later impact the dynamics of our atmosphere. Although entering the unknown aspect of life had been a normal procedure for us, speaking of an overall plan, none had been stipulated. Ultimately, the depths of intoxication inspired our decision in venturing to Los Angeles. The moments leading up to when the incident took place, what was going through your mind? Mr. Wesley advises, a, a variety of emotion only a human being could feel, reclined in a, in a vehicle of lost sanity, where a hybrid of pain, confusion, and the sense of abandonment had developed, left without an option, but to become misgiving towards the creation of a hard-earned, well-deserved brotherhood. Wondering whether betrayal was the universal price in exchange for my years of true devotion, unconditioned love, and sacrifice. Meanwhile, an attempt to fathom what I once believed to be the impossible. Reciprocation has already been nothing less than an exploitation when viewing one as an equal. As far as my knowledge, I had become too vulnerable due to the comfort of prior inequity being resolved between us, although accountability must be taken for my failure of prevention. The moments after the incident took place, what was going through your mind? An extension to previous trauma, trying to grasp a tragedy you would convince yourself of being a nightmare. Pray that somehow, some way, my brother would, would manifest the strength to pull through. My mind began to dwell in curiosity. If I had fell short of our struggle, would I live to see another day? Shall I be enraged or shall I take the frantic shots from Shafa Shavis as a blessing? How do you tell a family of family ties, your child, your relative, is cold to the touch? In addition, your involvement, if I made the choice to decline this call that night, would I live the expectations of being counted on? I caught myself in prison in a game of tug of war with my conscience. One of shame, failure, sympathy. There stood not a doubt in my mind that no matter what, in the end, I'll be framed for his demise. What do you remember most about your trial, and why does this memory stick out to you? I remember the elusive feeling of sitting through calumny, the slander, gradually fatigued by the arrogation, looking in the Incredulous eyes of those. Why is he writing poetry? Listen, <laughs> yo, his play on words is bomb. Anyways, 
Looking in the incredulous eyes of those whom bear false witness, recognizing the vindication exploited to denigrate my character, coming to the humble conclusion that in fact, based a retaliatory based trial, having to watch an individual I've never met paint a picture of persuasion as if he's known me forever. A case where the victim isn't displayed as the overall victim, instead a paid informant whose yearns of a broken heart. I could remember feeling the presence of D'Angelo in the courtroom. Shortly after the state's witness and brother of Sharif, Keneal, slipped up during testimony, iterating that his sister told him she just shot D, only to then see the DA cross-examine, defining his guilt as a simple tongue tie. I recall the feeling of being escorted to the courtroom, walking through long, cold hallways with a head held high, embracing every sound of echoed footsteps, heavy chains that swung from my waist, physically captivated but spiritually emancipated patiently waiting for the verdict of my temporary destiny, ready for whatever that is. Sniffles and cries from every soul behind me as the judge wrote a verdict of guilt. Bravely, I understood that guilt only affects the guilty. I was once told you can never comprehend the core of unjust until walking through the shadows of it. Ooh. What's your take on the evidence presented during your trial? Controversial, depraved, and ill-noted. When conducting a murder trial, livelihood is at its greatest stake. The smallest detail must be delicately examined with an impartial mentality. One error, one slight overlooking becomes prejudicial. And one word can make up the fragile minds of the jury. Without the coercing of a collusive key witness, there will be no foundation. Instead, several statements, multiple stories of false narrative, and a multitude of material inconsistencies are expected to define justice. A case where one innovates a story of premeditation with the assistance of the DA's office after receiving a plea, where after defamation, DNA evidence proved the murder weapon was possessed by the victim. Contrary to the state's claim of events, though obligated by the panel, in addition, where additional evidence is contaminated by a mixture of DNA conflicting the authentic findings of its original location. A case where you are denied the right to a defense by implementing unfair jury instructions. Where the crime scene discovery of a broken trigger finger nail is rationalized. Better yet, the finding of a sweater washed with bleached material in which had been worn the night of the murder. A case where the collection of two shell casings is illustrated as a B-shot 
I'm sorry, three shot execution. In three examinations, in the examination of an inaccurate headshot lacks thorough sufficiency of an exit wound. Where GPS evidence isn't enough to prove discreditable testimony and tampering with evidence isn't a crime. We speak of a trial where uncharged, unassociated crimes are unlawfully introduced as prosperity evidence to prove guilt. And since lack of gang evidence diminishes the state's motive of additional enhancement, it becomes abused and reversed as a desire. A case where the crime scene supports the theory of a physical fight, but still neglected and unassociated, Google searches are used as a motive for premeditation. Nonetheless, where you are characterized as an abusive player to gain the sympathy of a 10-woman jury for a credibility scheme, where investigators get on the stand and lie under oath, and I can continue to go on and on in regards of proving significant error, though we must not go on seeing this illicit cycle repeat itself. The state must prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. If a defendant raises any reasonable doubt, they shall be acquitted. In regards to this case, the element of reasonable doubt had exceeded. If you didn't go to trial, what made you decide to do a plea deal? Out of respect for the victim, my only objective was giving closure to those I owe it to. With the hope of shedding light on a disclosed truth, as well as the crookedness faced in our breached system, whether believers may disbelieve nor disbelievers believe, I believe in fighting for equality, no matter the outcome. I have no regret in being judged by 12. An individual of innocence shall obtain innocence, not result to submission. Where when offered a substitution of guilt. Did you hire an attorney or have you state appointed one? He advised, unfortunately, a public defender. You know I had to ask, do you feel your attorney had your best interest at heart? And did all they could do to defend you? Mr. Wesley advises, I believe my attorney wanted me to believe so. Prior to studying the law, the facts of my case, I fell under the impression that he served me well. Though in reality, he lacked coverage, the heart to expose his fellow co-workers, deliberating below the lines of representation, rather demonstrating ineffective assistance of counsel. He, in fact, did the least of what a paid attorney potentially could have. He lacked availability, effort, conviction, and foremost, my trust. Turning over evidence to the prosecution earlier than the court deadlines, giving the prosecution a head start in cultivating a story around our defense. My investigative team failed to successfully introduce additional evidence, including testimony that proved a key witness discreditable. Last minute, during break, he convinced me in, tes in testifying on my own behalf, stating that self-advocation 
was my only chance of victory. I attempted to fire him through through a hearing to be denied by the partial judge. Although we wonder how so many young men of color become victims of being railroaded, those are the struggles of the unprivileged due to indigenous lack of education. We become vulnerable, ignorant, and manipulated into becoming prisoners. The overflowing of public defender caseloads give them the inability to put forth to put forth 100% to an individual case, eventually becoming the production of mass incarceration. If you could say anything at all to the general public about the crime, what would you say? Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned. I lost a fellow comrade, a child of a strong, God-fearing black queen, Prior to being accused and convicted of her son's death, I ate her cooking, I slept on her floor, exchanged laughter, and built moments that meant the world. I understand that there is no good way in telling a bad story, no way to bandage the wounds she has endured. I become another statistic of black-on-black crime, only giving extended fuel to excuses. For the higher class to disregard due process and inequality. Majority of time, faith is given to the judicial system by assumption. Though only the bigot shall believe that we live in, in an ideal world of liberty. I was, I was suited guilt before a conviction. Before I took my first steps, the best story is victorious in the court of law. The best background is deemed most credible. In spite of doubt, if you take a close look into my eyes, you will realize I'm human. I've come into this misfortune, a teenage convicted felon, one involved in prior crime that related to firearms, one whom comes from a background of dysfunction, an inner city child, who spoke an unvoiced truth and pain through instrumentals, exposed to trauma and life-based adversity, covered in tattoos that glorify my hardships. If innocent black bystanders are killed by police over the perception of their image, over the wrong reaction, what is a panel of 12 not of my peers? When, whom likely grew up rooted into believing in this very system who's shown hatred towards minority. What are the odds of a stereotypical society believing a girl portrayed as a saint being the cause of one's demise? To all critics who see only in black and white, justice is much greater than a newscast, an article, a one-sided documentary. Last but not least, a guilty verdict. I am fully aware 
that my circumstances were given due to an urge to balance the books. Though, this fight is an endless fight. A wickedness I've been chosen to overcome. So I must end this response with a quote from the iconic George Jackson himself. I'm in a unique political position. I have a very nearly closed future. And since I have always been inclined to get disturbed over organized injustice or terrorist practice against the innocents, whenever I can now say just about what I want, I've done just about that without fear of self-exposure. I can only be executed once. How has life been since being incarcerated? Mr. Wesley advises, embarrassing, oppressive, but humbling. It's been a learning experience, unforgettable at that. The strongest are positioned in some of the worst predicaments. My life isn't attractive, though there is essence. I built an inner fort resilient enough to withstand the darkest weather. I've grasped enlightenment, clarity, as well as purity. I watched people whom, whom, whom secretly hated me all along finally have a platform to display it. It made me stronger, mentally superior, physically superior, God body. I've dedicated my time wisely, legally, and productive, giving myself purpose in mentoring the at-risk youth. I've picked up dense literature which impacted and influenced my general view. I've disengaged from, from criminal thinking, investing my effort in building a permanent legacy. I am blind to every bar, every wall, every negative individual. My vision is tunneled into a road of rehabilitation. In addition, I'm releasing a music project called Colony on various platforms. Yes, you can also YouTube me under Westside Rail, W-E-S-S-I-D-E-R-E-H-L, to hear my previous work. In the meantime, I'm in the process of publishing my literature and poetry. I've learned to love life, as well as turn my losses into lessons, because in the end, I'm just another rose that grew from concrete power to the people. Those are the words of Mr. Wesley directly. Ooh, let's talk about this. Now, now, before we even get into a legal breakdown, let's talk a personal breakdown. So here you have Sherelle Wesley, you know, like the bad boy, the thug, you know, tatted up rapper. And you have the good girl, Shafa, you know, doing her thing, on a real student, on her way to college. And it comes down to a who done it, right? So one's blaming the other. He's saying she did it. She's saying he did it. And poor Mr. D'Angelo, life is gone. Now, do you go with the story of D'Angelo disrespecting Mr. Wesley, so Mr. Wesley had to handle it like the streets? Or do you go with the story of... D'Angelo and Mr. Wesley were fighting like brothers fight and Shafar kind of panicked in the moment and felt like she had to protect her man. Now, based on this story, that is like how we heard it from the San Diego Reader, 
I think it's clear that Shafar was in love with Mr. Wesley, right? She was under his spell, so to speak, it seems like. So, makes you wonder. Now, based upon that, you have to ask yourself, can this be, do you think it could be logically proven beyond a reasonable doubt? Now, Mr. Wesley said the jury of 12 were not of his peers. Now, listen, you all. You know I'm big upon the jury being of your peers. So, what that means is, Mr. Wesley, as a black man, his jury should have been of his black peers. If they were not, you know, I'm big on, can individuals understand one's background and one's past to understand how it affects their present and or their future if they don't understand where the person comes from. I feel that always comes into play when it comes to jury trials and the jury of your peers really are not your peers. And again, we're sitting here with a game of who done it. Now based upon the evidence, Mrs. Sherelle had some bloody clothes that was left in Shafar's car. Shafar's nail was left at the crime scene. I mean, listen, there was evidence on everybody, right? So there, there was no slam dunk, nothing. Now, if there's no slam dunk, you have to realize the, the case has to be based on testimony. Shafar got a plea deal to testify against Mr. Wesley. Then Mr. Wesley mentioned her brother got on the stand saying that his sister said that she shot him, but that the district attorney played it down as just oh a tongue twister. You know, he didn't really mean it. Mm, did he not? Did he not? Did he not or did he and you did not want him to mean it? So with that being said, we got to y'all know listen you all know me. Don't do me like this. You know I have to take it back to the basics. Reasonable doubt. A reasonable doubt exists when a fact finder cannot say with moral certainty that a person is guilty of a particular fact. That a person is guilty or a particular fact exists. It must be more than an imaginary doubt. And it's often defined judicially as such doubt as would cause a reasonable person to hesitate before acting in a matter of importance. So what that means is, based upon what Mr. Wesley detailed to us and what these headlines detailed for us, do you think that there would have been enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? Now, if the testimony that Mr. Wesley quoted in his writings from uh, Ms. Shafar's brother is true, if he said that his sister did it, Baby, if that's on plain reasonable doubt, I don't know what does. Now, even if the jury was instructed to strike it from their memory, it was said. And what was said was said. Can you let that the fuck go? Now, let's talk the mens rea. The mens rea is the intent. I don't see, no. Now, listen, y'all. You know I wasn't there, so I can't be like I know for a fact. But what I will say is, based on how the headlines read, as well as how Mr. Wesley's breakdown of the situation reads, I don't see the intent for killing D'Angelo for Mr. Wesley. Again, these boys go back like both flats on the Cadillac. They've been friends for years. They're brothers. They have a bond. Brothers fight. I fight with my brothers all the time, right? I'm not going to kill them. We will go at it. But I'm not going to kill them. So I wonder, where's the intent? 
What was used as what? What is the intent? Some supposed jealousy over a fucking dance crew? Are you serious? You're gonna tell me that Mr. Wesley was so upset that Mr. D'Angelo allegedly, right? Allegedly was like hanging with the other dance clique that it led to murder? That's the intent? That's what we're going with? Mm-mm. I'm sorry. Mm-mm. Not buying it. Now, the act is Reyes. The guilty act. Obviously, is the murder in itself. There's no question about that. We know that the guilty act took place because Mr. D'Angelo lost his life. But you're going to give me the mens rea? You're going to tell me the intent is a dance crew? Because he's hanging with some other people? Some new people? Now, listen, I will admit, based on what Shafar said in her testimony, it does sound like Mr. Wesley may be a little bit controlling. However, controlling does not mean murder, right? You get it? So, like, I know some controlling people, and I'm like, cut it out, okay? Like, I'm not, cut it out. You're just over the top. But, does controlling translate to conviction for murder? Hmm. Now let's talk murder. The unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. Now, all right now. So allegedly there's this proof that Mr. Wesley was Googling these remote spots and these spots that the police don't get to quickly. And Mr. Wesley said, look, I was looking for the next spot to shoot my music video. Like, you know, we smoking, we drinking, we doing what we do. We don't want to be in the public. We don't want to be where the police come quickly. Now listen, you all. I will admit, I work with some artists that do the same thing. Like, they they shoot their videos in remote locations because they are smoking and drinking and turning up and the music is loud and it's really noise pollution, right? So they choose these locations so that they don't get in trouble. I, oh, okay. Now you have this for me, this 50-50. All right. The state is saying... He was Googling this stuff, trying to find a location to kill Mr. D'Angelo, premeditation. He's saying, nah, shorty, you got it messed up. I was looking for somewhere to shoot my next video shoot. Mm, not premeditation. The reality, I mean, he's a rapper. West Side Rail, it's on YouTube. He got videos. I mean, okay, right? right? So I'm just like, Ugh. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. So when we get to this burden of proof, which falls on the state, reasonable suspension, reasonable suspicion, the lowest standard of proof is reasonable suspicion. The standard is required. Okay. Reasonable suspicion. I'll give them that. I'll give them that Mr. Wesley was there. Obviously, Mr. D'Angelo lost his life. It was just Mr. Wesley and Shafar. Okay, I'll give them reasonable suspicion. Probable cause. The next most common standard is probable cause. Unfortunately, neither code nor jurisprudence provides a definite definition of what constitutes probable cause, but it is generally considered to be nothing more than a reasonable belief that the person has committed a crime or that evidence of a crime will be found on a particular place. All right, all right, right. So we know they was in Shafar's car. So that's our probable cause to search the car. Now we search the car. We find some sneakers with some blood on them. The sneakers are believed to be Mr. Wesley's. Mr. Wesley's like, nah, them her brother's sneakers for real. Like, 
we would wear each other's sneakers and shit. First of all, who does that? But anyways, all right. So now you're like, okay, another factor of who done it, who done it, who did it, who done it, which takes me back to reasonable doubt. I'm sorry, based on what the headlines have detailed, what Mr. Wesley detailed in his letter to Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan, as well as what the San Diego Reader has detailed in the stories coming from Shafar and coming from Mr. Wesley. Nothing screams to me guilty murder 80 years. Ugh! Listen, I don't... I don't... I don't... It's not screaming... Automatic guilt, it's not screaming premeditation. You know what? I'll give you, let's, follow me for a moment. Let's say an argument broke out. The argument happened, and obviously Mr. D'Angelo lost his life. There's no argument there. We all understand that that took place, right? What the question is, is what caused it? How did it happen? Are we talking premeditation or are we talking in the heat of the moment? Because those are two different factors. Premeditation, murder. But if it wasn't premeditation, we're talking voluntary manslaughter. We're talking a form of homicide that occurs without premeditation, deliberation, or malice afterthought. Come on now, you all. I know... Again, we wasn't sitting in the jury. I wasn't there. I don't know. But just based on everything that's outlined, I feel like Mr. Wesley being a felon already, right? Mr. Wesley being a felon, being tatted up, being a rapper, and being a bad boy, and Miss Shepard being a good girl. I do feel like the tables were shifted walking into it. Now, we do understand that according to what the judicial criminal justice system is supposed to be, an individual is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty. And with being proven guilty, you have to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Once being proved guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, that's when the determination of your sentencing comes into play. Furthermore, it's up to the state to prove, to, it's up to the state to provide the burden of proof. Burden of proof falls on the state. The state's supposed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt this individual is guilty of the crime we have decided to charge them with. As such, my peoples, my Let's Talk Money with Diamond Song family, you have to ask yourself, this case is finger-pointing in circumstantial evidence. There's no hardcore boom moment where you're like, oh, this evidence is so hard it had to be true. They call into question Mr. Wesley's relationships, how he treats his women, how many women he has. Really? Is, is that what we're doing in a murder trial? In a murder trial, we're sitting here bringing up the method in which the defendant dates, who he dates, how he dates, who he's married to, and how many women he has at one time. Listen, if that became a factor of murder, we have a motherfucking problem in the judicial system. Because nowhere in a murder should that be a factor when you put him on the set. Then... Why did, why did his attorney 
have him testify. Now, knowing this is just me, you know, I ain't no attorney, I ain't going to law school, we ain't going to act like I did, right? I don't know now, right? But what I do know is, for me, for me, myself, and I, understanding that I feel the tables of justice are not on the side of Mr. Wesley because he's a black male who is tatted up, he's a rapper, and he's being painted to be a player. I don't want him on the stand, especially knowing that they're going to use who he is against him. A person will always defend themselves because when we're attacked, we go into defensive mode. Why would I put my client on the stand knowing they're going to use who he is? He's a player. He got women. He got a wife. There's a baby's mother. He got girls in other states. So what? We're talking the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. We're not talking his fucking dating antics, okay? I'm sorry, you all. I'm, so I'm sorry. That? Yo, did you see how much they were emphasizing the women? Okay, yes, I get it. Miss Jafar was the girlfriend, was one of the girlfriends. I don't fucking know, but whatever it was, she was there. We know she was there. It was in her car, you know, like, okay, the other women don't play a part. Now, if that's playing a part, where is it playing a part? Because D'Angelo wasn't jealous of his women. Um, Mr. Wesley and D'Angelo weren't fighting over the women. So we're not using that as our intent. So what is it? Now, had it went towards proving intent, maybe. Maybe I'd have been like, okay, let's, let's have this conversation, right? But it doesn't. It was brought up to define Mr. Wesley's character? Really? That's what we're doing? So if that's what we're doing, what that, mean, what that says to me is that, hmm, something was kind of weak, that that had to be a route that had to be explored. You feel me? So I'm just like, mm. Now, you all know, I gotta ask y'all a few questions, right? How do you feel about this? How do you feel? Do you feel based on what we've been told, based on what we've read from the headlines, from what Mr. Wesley has shared with us, this could have been proven. Murder could have been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. The unlawful premeditated, keyword, premeditated killing of Mr. D'Angelo by Mr. Wesley. Do you think, based on what we know? Hmm. Or do we feel that this was a case that was determined based on what the individual looked like and the picture that was painted of their character and their player status combined with the jury not being of their direct peers. Now let's let's talk about a jury of your peers. Now when it, now when it comes to a jury of one's peers, let's be clear. While it isn't specifically stated anywhere in the Constitution, criminal defendants generally have the right to be tried by a jury of peers. Let's talk about it. The basics. The phrase a jury of peers dates back to, to the signing of the Magna Carta in England. At that point, the provision ensured that members of the nobility were tried by a jury comprised of fellow nobles rather than being judged by the king. Now, however, this phase more accurately means a jury of fellow citizens. While courts don't have to ensure that a defendant's race, gender, or age group is represented in the jury pool, the U.S. Supreme Court has held that courts may not remove a potential juror based solely on their race or gender. In practice, however, potential jurors often are removed or 
what appears for what appears to be their gender or race, even though the removal is for other stated reasons, for no particular reason at all, right? Now let's talk about it. The jury of one's peers is a guaranteed right of criminal defendants in which peer means an equal. This has been interpreted by the courts to mean that the available jurors include a broad spectrum of the population, particularly of race, national origin, and gender. Jury selection may include no process which excludes those of a particular race or, in, or intentionally narrows the spectrum of possible jurors. It does not mean that women are to be tried by women, Asians by Asians, or African Americans by African Americans, right? So we get it. It doesn't have to be the exact color or the exact gender, but it should be equal. Peer meaning equal. So by equal, what we break down is somebody who at least, even if you didn't grow up in my neighborhood, you should have grown up close to it or in a, in a neighborhood that would be somewhat similar to what is com- what my neighborhood is com- is um compiled of right so that your understanding of life or your outlook is similar to mine or is equal to mine based on the environment in which we grew up in so again we ain't got to grow up in the exact same place. But if I grew up in Crenshaw and you grew up in Beverly Hills, bitch, we ain't equal. Stop that shit, right? If I'm from Baltimore and you from, like, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, we're not equal, shorty. It's not going on like that. Now, what that does mean is if I'm from Baltimore and you from, let's say, Baltimore County, right? Or if I'm from, like... Atlanta and you from College Park, right? Again, equal. Equal. E-Q-U-A-L. This word, equal and equality and fairness and innocent, underfoot, and guilty, these factors seem to just be a reoccurring conversation as it pertains to these headlines. Again, aspiring rapper gets 80 years to life for murdering his friend well goddamn well okay is that is that is that what we're doing not sherelle wesley convicted of killing or of my let's talk the facts why why do we have to why does why did the headline have to present aspiring rapper like right there you've created a you've created a picture in one's mind a preconceived notation based on just how you titled it right so we get into this story Cheryl Wesley leaves best friend's body on Twin Oaks Valley Road I can deal with that right because it's the facts it's stating facts based upon what was presented at the trial we know that the defendant's name is Cheryl Wesley we know that it's alleged that he killed his best friend and left his body on Twin Oaks Valley Road Boom. I'm not mad at that. However, your subtopic goes, why do good girls love bad boys? Okay. Again, we're back to this element of this fucking relationship and Mr. Wesley being a player. Now, not only is he a player, he's a bad boy. So now we've labeled him a bad boy and a player. Like, come on. Okay. I don't want to be a player no more. Right. At some point, when are you going to stop? 
painting this picture of this gentleman who is the defendant. Let's get to the facts. Defendant, Sherell Wesley. Murder. Best friend's body. Body on Twitter. Like, the additives, I get it. Headlines sell. But headlines also affect people's lives. And what that means is that when the state presents a case, let's talk facts. The judicial process is supposed to be based on facts. When did it become the theater? When did the theatrics become the case? No, 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 no. So now, on this jury, now keep in mind, this jury was 10 women, 2 men. So with this jury of 10 women, you painted the picture of a player. Really? You know what that did. You know what that did to the mindset of the woman sitting in that jury. You understand that you played upon their emotions and their feelings towards men who are players are men who cheat on their wives. Because don't forget, the marriage was brought up. Married man messing with high school girl. Really? This is what we're doing? Can I get the facts? May I please be presented with the facts of the case that take me through the mindset of understanding what the mens rea is in this case. What is the intent? Give me the intent. Because you ain't telling me the intent was because Mr. D'Angelo was hanging with another dance crew. No, no, baby. That doesn't suffice for intent. Your actus reus, I'll give you the guilty act. We know what it is. It was the murder. I'm fine with that. But where's my intent? I don't have intent, you all. Can you all please tell me? Tell me. Do you all have intent? Do you all have intent? At what point in these stories do we have intent? But no, we have Mr. Wesley being asked about his one wife plus a pregnant girlfriend in another state plus two other girlfriends all while dating a teenage high school student. Really? That's what we're doing? Where is my intent? We know that Shafar was considered a good girl. Okay, so here we are again. Y'all painting a picture like he messed up her life. We get it. He's a felon. There was a whole gun store robbery that took place. Okay, he's not perfect. Where do we go from there? Where do we go from there? I need to understand. Ms. Shafar paints a picture of him being very controlling. She says she didn't know about his other women. They, oh, okay. Where is my intent? Mr. D'Angelo has lost his life. He's no longer with us. And based on what we've been told, I still don't get the intent. Let's go back to the story. Prosecutor Keith Watambi had a theory that Sherelle Wesley became jealous and felt betrayed when D'Angelo started hanging out with a new dance crew called the Hefners. But Wesley responded, he's not with a dance group, that statement was made up. Wesley also declared that he would not attack D for something like that. Now listen, come on now. I, I just, I'm sorry you all. A dance crew? I need, I just need more than that. I need more. Mr. Wesley is convicted. He's given 80 years to life. Based on this being... What, is this laid? Was this the foundation for the intent? Dance crew? I don't know. I don't know. So, we do it like this. Mr. Wesley told us what he told us. The headlines read as they read. I have three questions for you all. 
based on which you have been heard in this edition of Let's Talk Money with Dominique Son. You think there was enough to cause reasonable doubt that Mr. Wesley should have gotten charged or convicted of a lesser sentence, if not fully acquitted? Do you think, can you figure out where the intent is? And if you can, you gotta let me know. And then, when it comes to the conversation of the charge, do you think they had enough to prove murder? Do you think that the GPS, I'm sorry, the Google searches for these locations screen premeditation? Or do they scream, yeah, he was looking for a video shoot. So how do you, how do we do this? Is it murder? Should it have been voluntary manslaughter? Or should it have been a total acquittal? I need you to tell me your opinions. Let me know what you think. Because you know, I, this isn't sitting too well with me. With that being said, I'm Diamond Kisan, and we've just talked murder. Until next time, stay safe, and never be afraid to talk murder. This is a Diamond Kisan production. Man, I should have took advantage of this shit a long time ago. I don't know what the fucking nigga was thinking, man. I'm turning up all the way now. Nigga, Westside, Brown. You can't live what I'm living. I've been in the kitchen. I've been in the trap and I've been on a mission. Some niggas go missing, but I do not miss it. Cause some of them niggas took some of my niggas. Oh. Fight all in that pussy. She swore I was slipping. When niggas start hating, then niggas start flipping. For each of you haters, it's full ammunition. I dropped out of school cause I'm sick of suspicion. My number one hobby is fucking these bitches. Until they hit notes like school auditions. See my niggas eating. I'm learning division. The fetch all that had me on full supervision. They throw me some numbers that act like addition. But I didn't catch her cause I don't have meetings. I'm running this shit while these niggas is skipping. I see all these snakes from peripheral vision. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, my soldiers, we on in a minute I'm drowsy as fuck like I just at the dentist Most of these niggas' lifestyles is fiction I swallow the truth, but it's not an addiction Now let's keep it real Some of these people ain't who they appeal My crazy life Mama can't buy it, so they choose to steal My brother's in jail Ain't coming home, do you know how they feel? This world is so cold Just thinking too deep, make my ass get the chills So tell what you know, and we'll let you go Hold up Nigga, you wasting your time I know you ain't need for a donut Pull up right after the show You didn't think we was gonna show up Bosses, they love a real nigga, that's why they approach us Hey, for Alina, she one I can trust When I need me some honey, she give it all up I told her we gon' move by the end of this month Yeah, we get in the fuss, but we fucking make a Bitch for Benz of my nigga so much He got six in the pit, eating noodles for lunch I told him when he land, I'ma pick him right up With a bitch in the court, I be ready to suck She is for cash, bitch, I get it so much But sometimes all that money leave me in the dust But can't never go broke, cause get rich is a must Yeah, that shit hurt so much, that is something I lost D is for D, yeah, that boy, he a G if his life hit the run, but he risk it for me. He ain't charging no money, he 
killing for free, so when we make it big, then I'm paying my fees. Pay is for eating, she in Arizona. Remember them times you was drunk off Corona? Got sprung off the D, now she in California. I'm sorry you passed after you kind of mother. F is for Fred, that's my pops. I salute you. Fuck all of them times that I couldn't salute you. Just rock with me now. Step in the future with pockets on swollen away from the future. G is for Granny, I give her my last, cause she still love her baby. Right after my passing, she lost her son Tony. My uncle that passed, so I know how she feel when I'm stuck in that glass. Angels for heaven, where angels get rest, where you meet all your brothers when passing the test. Little life with no stress, but your niggas depressing. You can't get it right, cause your homie done left. Yeah. Can't get it right, cause your homie done left. Where they go? I don't know. You can't get it right, cause your homie done left. Got all y'all niggas depressed Started where we left off